Welcome to Gleaming the Tube, the podcast where Kevin and Mike watch a film in which somebody rides a skateboard at some point. Finally, a podcast where people talk about movies. Hello, Michael. Hello. Kevin, how's it going? I would be going a lot better if we hadn't watched this movie for this episode. Man, (laughs) I got to tell you, uh... As much as I don't want to just sit here and tear Police Academy 4 to shreds, it is really not a good movie. And yet, also one of the most important movies of my entire life. Released in 1987, Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol. Let's use the full title. Oh, yeah. Details the efforts by Commandant Lassard to get the the wacky gang from the Police Academy to... uh, Train citizens to also be uh, the, the why am I doing this? The plot makes no sense. It's it, it really it, the movie functions way more as just a series of cartoonish gags that don't relate to each other in any way. There's like almost no internal logic at all in the movie. <laughs> at one point, out of nowhere, like this is probably four fifths of the way through the movie. Sure, ninjas show up. Yeah. Oh. Man, well, that's what got me to thinking. Like for the long time, I labored under the under the assumption that this movie was really, really important to me because of the short burst of skateboarding that happens in the very early portion of the movie. But I had forgotten that there's a ninja fight scene on a pirate ship, <laughs> and it's fantastic. And I am usually someone who is down for ninjas in movies. In any way, shape, or form. But even it, that, watching this movie felt like I was being punished for something. Clearly, they wanted to keep everybody sort of involved in the action sequences, but like the the fight scene with the ninjas, it was like they filmed it in slow motion because, you know, Michael Winslow is clearly not actually a an action star. It felt, in a lot of ways, it almost felt like this movie was like the director owed the stuntmen guild some kind of like favor because they they really pulled out all the stops. There was like an airplane chase and a hot air hot balloon air chase and ninjas and bikers. It really was quite something else. Speaking of the stuntmen, there was one scene where, and I am not a person who normally particularly notices obvious stunt doubles. Yes. Like I'll watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Xena Warrior Princess. And, you know, if you point it out to me, it's like, oh yeah, that's very obviously a stunt double. Normally I don't notice that. There's a scene where Tackleberry is trying to break up a bank robbery and Mrs. Feldman on a motorcycle (laughs) crashes through the bank window. Yes. And... It was so obvious that that was a stunt double that I thought it was an entirely different character. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was it's like, like a 300-pound dude. It's like playing. Randall Tex Cobb does yeah. the stunt <laughs> and has a speaking role in this movie, which is which is exciting. But I, it's that it's that scene and the other scene where she's supposed to she like dives off a cardboard box and lands on the on the guy fencing all the equipment in the warehouse. And again, it's like a 300-pound dude and like an old lady wig and it's. 
It's like they didn't even try. This film has a rare 0% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I seem to recall, and again, I I haven't watched any of the Police Academy movies in a long, long time, but I seem to recall at least the first two being like genuinely pretty funny, like adult raunchy comedies in the style of like your your Porky's or your Revenge of the Nerds movies or whatever. But man, by the time they get to force Gutenberg's last appearance in a, in a police Academy movie, by the way, notably. <laughs> Things uh, had gotten so bad that Gutenberg decided, you know what? I'm done. The Goot was like, you know what? I've got a, a career to think about and I, I can't, uh, I can't be associated with this, uh, this mishmash anymore. Do you think if Gutenberg like left the police Academy franchise envisioning that he would have the career that Tom Hanks eventually wound up having and has spent the remaining like 25 to 30 years cursing Tom Hanks. I feel like Gutenberg could have, I mean, he's like, he's a very charming guy. He's, I've, you know, I always like him and everything he does, but you're right. Like he kind of like, it's like there was only one room in the universe for one lovable Hanks-ish rogue, which is Tom Hanks. And so he, Gutenberg's just like, hit the sidelines. Although it's been fun. Like in the, in like the, I don't know, like the mid to late two thousands, he kind of started showing up on stuff again. And it always seemed like he was having a real good time. Like he, he has, he does an episode of party down and he's also on a, uh, on like a late in like the sixth season of community. He makes an appearance and you're kind of like, wow, the goot doesn't need to be here. (laughs) You know what I mean? He's just, he's just enjoying himself. I think in recent interviews, he's been kind of talking up like bringing police Academy back. I mean, maybe it's time for a reboot. Everything else is getting a reboot. Nobody. I would like it if if he repri- he didn't replies reprise his role, but he was he played Commandant Lassard. Oh, like that would re- be good. He recast himself as Commandant Lassard. That's, or that's the my- evil the evil Captain Harris. Oh, Captain Harris! He's got a bone to pick with that with that Mahoney. That's for sure. No, I don't know if this is the worst movie I've ever seen, but it's the worst movie I've seen this century. I mean, and the thing is, like, I as I was rewatching it, I remember thinking, like, this movie came out when I was like twelve years old, and it was the perfect the skateboarding bit aside, which we're gonna get into, and I'm very, very excited to talk about it. But like, when you if you think about watching this movie through the lens of a twelve year old boy, it, it's perfect. There's funny sounds and cartoonish violence and ninjas and, you know, and, and, and all that. But when you rewatch it, it really just, it, it adheres to no linear, like what, like I, I, I remember I was taking notes and I was thinking like, first of all, why would they stay at the Academy if they were just <laughs> local citizens like do it like doing like basically what was like a community watch program like there would be really no need for them to bunk up at the police academy a mile away from their own homes that didn't seem to make any sense why was sharon stone there it seemed like she was a reporter of some sort but that was never really set up and she and mahoney get together at the end but there's also it goes from like point a to point z with nothing in the middle yeah, yeah, there's there's no he doesn't have to win her affections like he did in the he you know in the yeah. first movie it was uh oh, who was oh Kim Cattrall. Ah, yeah, in the first movie it was Kim Cattrall and he was like a a a, a wacky rakish rogue who had to kind of win her affections, but with this one they just sort of hit the fast forward button. He notices her 
and then they're together and that's and that's and her role as a as a reporter sort of just they just sort of forget about it she at some point she's yeah. just sort of there <laughs> she takes uh, hightower's dog yes police academy so the the viewers will know oh, this is she's a she's a good one and uh, the other love interest is Zeb, the Bobcat Goldthwait character. Yes. Has a love interest um, with a young woman who, like every girl in their 20s, is going through a photography phase. She had enormous hair, which was the other thing I noticed about her character. Okay. And I feel like Mahoney is sort of trying to channel like Bill Murray in Stripes. Sure. That's sort of like what that character, like that character is like a, a knockoff of Bill Murray in Stripes. I know we had said the Tom Hanks things earlier, but the Goot is no Bill Murray. The Goot is a lot of things, but he is no Bill Murray. And I feel like what really crystallized Gutenberg's place in the universe for me was, do you remember that Simpsons episode about the stonecutters? Yes. Where they sing the the song about how they control the world from behind the scenes, and one of the lyrics is "We made Steve Gutenberg a star." I uh, I do recall that, and I think you know what the fact of the matter is. I think Stephen Gutenberg is a star. He was in like the twilight of his career at that point because I think after that, <laughs> nineteen eighty seven, he only went on to do. I think I can only remember that he did cocoon and cocoon two after that i don't know if this was before or after three men and a baby but three men and a baby was an enormous hit movie oh no you're right that was after and i three men and a baby came after and it was like a big career boost for him i don't think i've ever seen three men and a baby i wonder if there's any skateboarding in it there could be it's it's a very strange movie but it was i think it was the biggest box office hit of that year in the u.s i do recall it being absolutely huge I did see Three Men and a Baby and like Goot lives with Ted Danson and Tom Selleck. And they're like yeah. three, they're three bachelors who live in like a cool loft apartment in the city. And the thing that I remember is that they drew caricatures of themselves in tuxedos on the wall of their apartment. They live in an apartment where they have had a mural put up of caricatures of themselves in tuxedos. Man, that is a cast of several. <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> How did they get those three together to <laughs> to create that? Man, what, I, what confluence I, of the stars was able to come together? <laughs> and it was directed by Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> is that is that true? That is true. I'm learning Look, a lot here, Kevin. He's, he's not just Spock. Leonard Nimoy directed Three Men and a Baby. He did. Well, I got to tell you, I'm Look, one of you... the people who does this podcast, and I just learned something very interesting that I did not know. Look, Leonard Nimoy, he directed Three Men and a Baby. He photographed nude women. He was a renaissance man. I guess that must be the case. I, I had no idea. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm almost speechless <laughs> by by finding that out because I had no idea. So I'm here for movies and you're here for skateboarding. Yeah, that's true. So you've you've schooled me. <laughs> on. Uh, apparently he was also in a little television program called Star Trek. Oh. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. but <laughs> I wonder if there are any podcasts about that. <laughs> I, it's just, it, it was funny. I was watching the movie sort of desperately trying to sort of connect all of the, the separate <laughs> scenes. And I just, I was watching the scene in which they they take the skateboarder kids because they keep insisting they're ready to be real cops. And I thought to myself, what is exactly the lesson they're trying to teach them? Because they put them in a situation where no police officer would 
put themselves in that position. So it's like the only lesson they're really teaching the skateboarder kids is that they as police officers are not very good police officers because they allow the skateboarder kids to get like they they put them in the back of a paddy wagon with a with a with a criminal and a dead body. It doesn't make any sense. That that's the scene. That <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Well, that's the one I bothered to write yeah. down. <laughs> um so I guess let's Let's talk about that a little bit. So the skate, there's these two young skateboarders in the film played by Brian Backer and more importantly, a young David Spade. Artie and Kyle. They're introduced fairly early in the film and there's kind of a, is it a chase scene or is it just sort of them? They hook up with the Bones Brigade and just go on a skateboarding tear. They just go skateboarding through the streets. Uh, and then afterwards there is a bit of a, of a chase scene, but it's not, that's not part of the, and the real they, skate action. Okay, yeah, and they get caught, and instead of being sent to juvie, uh, the judge says that they can join, they can forcibly join the Citizens on Patrol program and learn to become vigilante citizens who make Citizen arrests, cops, yes. which mirrors Steve Gutenberg's uh, uh, entry, entry into the police academy in Police Academy One because he himself was a a bit of a near duel. Kind of like how Luke Skywalker was training Rey in The Last Jedi. That is that is exactly the the the, uh, the parallel I made as well. How far Mahoney has come. I will tell you, Kevin, that, you know, there's been a lot of uh, examples, you know, where I think that I got interested and involved in skateboarding at sort of precisely the exact right time. And man, does this movie prove that correct. I mean, it, it came out in 1987. I saw it in the theater with no, I had no idea that there was this. I think this might be one of the reasons that people associate skateboarding so closely with the Police Academy 4 is that I don't remember knowing at all that there was going to be any skateboarding action in the movie. And so when that whole sequence kicks off, you know, compared to the to the relatively kind of like low level street skateboarding that happened just a year prior in Thrashem, the action sequence of those dudes skateboarding through the city is a huge leap forward. Like the the stuff that they're doing, I, I don't know if you remember in the last episode, I was talking a little bit about the, the street ollie and how that sort of once that came into play, it sort of changed everything in the sort of the, the realm of street skateboarding. And it is on fierce display here stacy peralta who's i'm kind of realizing is almost like the 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 link to everything that we talk about as far as skateboarding winding up in movies up until at least the 90s was the was the assistant director for the scene and man is it really good it's you know there's even though there's a couple of scenes where you can obviously tell that they've sort of like hid a, a like a ramp behind a barrel or something to get it so that they could launch themselves over the barrel which is sort of what they you know affectionately is called a powell magic because stacy peralta in his uh promotional skateboarding videos would often use kind of like quick edits to make things look like they were done a little bit better than they actually were in real life but i mean the scenes of them like ollieing down the series of steps the, the launching over barrels and bomb dropping off of the planters and stuff was i mean i think a case could be made for the fact that one of the reasons that movie did so well in rentals was because it was dozens of skateboarder kids who like, including myself, who like didn't have a lot of access to other skateboarding videos. 
you know, I, there wasn't many rentable skate videos, at least in my area at the time. So it, you had this like three minute sequence of really awesome skateboarding that you got, that you got to watch over and over again. And between the skateboarders and the hot air balloon enthusiasts, <laughs> really, you're going to rack up monster numbers. The other thing that was really impressive was, you know, so among the Bones Brigade guys, Tommy Guerrero is one of the first guys who ever was like almost marketed exclusively as a street skateboarder. And he, his stuff is on full display. Like it doesn't seem like it's like a big deal now, but at the time, just watching him ollie up onto a planter and then 180 ollie off of the same planter and grind the steps by like ollieing onto them. I I must have rewound that and watched that thousands of times. Stacey Peralta mentions in the Gator documentary that one of the reasons skate videos are so popular is because finally you could actually see what these guys were doing. And with little, the little access we had to those skate videos, this sequence was like a huge keystone. You got to watch a guy actually ollie up some stairs and, and sort of like be able to like sort of visualize like how that was actually going on. And man, was it impressive. So here's a question. Sure. Like as like someone who was interested in skateboarding and you saw Police Academy for like, was this something that you talked about with other skaters at the time? Was it a, was it like a thing? Oh, absolutely. Well, so it, it 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 was right, right at the beginning of like my, I had already had a skateboard, but not like a, a, a good or pro, like a professional board that you would buy at like a skate shop. I didn't know that many skaters at that time. So I think by the time I knew other skateboarders, it had almost like a year later, but it was certainly something we all talked about. And again, like I said, I, you know, I remember at my local video rental store, there was, it's, it's interesting because you would think that the, the Bones Brigade's videos that Stacey Peralta directed would have been the ones that made it into like a, you know, like a rentable format. Because at the early days, a lot of those videos were just like, they were sent to skateboard shops as promotional videos that they would just sort of play on the TV in the background at the skate shop. And I, there was a little video store right up to shoot my house and they didn't have any of the Bones Brigade videos. They had one video by a company called Schmidt Sticks that had, again, a very, very, very short sort of street skateboarding portion that was just like them goofing around in the parking lot of a 7-Eleven. And, you know, I remember it like it was yesterday. There was one trick done in an NXS video for the video for Devil Inside and then Police Academy 4. That was the, the, the media that you had access to in 1987 to watch for skate, you know, especially street skateboarding because it was not quite as, you know, as popular as it would become. So yeah, I will absolutely say that once I did meet other skateboarders and the subject of like skateboarding videos came up, Police Academy 4 was one of the things you talked about. In a lot of ways, the street skateboarding in Police Academy 4 is way more legitimate than any of the street skateboarding in the movie Thrashing because they're not just sort of casually cruising around. They're like ripping through like a downtown area, grinding their trucks on the stairs and stuff. And we just, as kids, we just couldn't get over the fact that it had sort of like crossed over into this Hollywood movie with ninjas. It's an aggressive form of skateboarding. It, It sure is. It sure sure is did skateboarders go to police academy five and get upset that there was no skateboarding in that one i don't think there was any expectation that there was going to be a skateboarding because i mean there's it's funny that it's it's almost the, the skateboarding almost doesn't come up 
almost ever again in the movie. There's one or two other scenes. Oh, speaking of that, that was the other thing I noticed that it was pretty clear that David Spade was pretty comfortable on a skateboard because even though Tony Hawk was his, who was a member of the Bones Brigade, who's I'm sure his name is ubiquitous enough that most people know it. But at the time, you know, he was his stunt double, but there's a couple of like wide angle scenes where the two actors are, you know, riding their boards. And David Spade seems like he's pretty good on a skateboard, which says to me that he had a little bit, at least a little bit of a background. I think if you, you know, if you grow up in that, in that world, you, you know, you're more, it's likely that you're going to have a skateboard and be able to ride one. But it was kind of cool to see David Spade actually kind of hanging in there. It was also interesting to see that David Spade was playing, and I'm going to use air quotes here, the David Spade character. <laughs> yes. I, he, he, David Spade emerged fully formed into the world. He must've been in like, you know, seventh grade, making snide comments to his teachers. It's weird. I, I, David Spade's not someone I remember from the 80s, but when you see things from the 80s after the fact and suddenly David Spade shows up in them like a pre-Saturday Night Live, David Spade is there doing David Spade things. It's it's very disconcerting. He definitely has a David Spade quality <laughs> that did was you, always there. Did you ever see him on The Facts of Life? Absolutely. And that like Man. last season of The Facts of Life where he's like... Yeah, they made a, a backdoor pilot with with Natalie that that never went anywhere, and he was supposed to be. Was he a love interest for Natalie, or just like a he best was, friend character? He was the it, I, the backdoor pilot. Was you know what a backdoor pilot is, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, for listeners who don't, a backdoor pilot is an episode of a TV show where the TV show that you normally want to sit down and watch is an entirely different show that they're trying to sell to the people through this other popular show. Uh, the best example I can think of is that episode of the Brady Bunch where Ken Berry and a bunch of orphans take over the show for about 80% of its runtime and then are never seen from or heard of again. Would you would you describe the Shrewd Farms episode of uh, The Office as a backdoor pilot? Would that, I, would you... I would. <laughs> okay, that seems like a, that seems like that, please. The, the, especially since the Shrewd Farm series was never picked up <laughs> not <an> even close <laughs> i'm trying to think of a backdoor pilot for a show that was picked up maybe uh maybe because like laverne and shirley showed up on happy days but it wasn't like an episode of laverne and shirley they were just uh fonz and richie's dates right i was like, thinking was... mork too like isn't mork yeah. on happy days but it's not a backdoor pilot he's just a character yeah they just they just spin him off into his own thing but yeah, so David on Facts of Life, David Spade plays one of Natalie's big city roommates. Like Natalie moves to the big city, she's making it in the big city, and she's she's got roommates, and it's David Spade and Richard Greco. Really? The Greek. Yeah. And somehow <laughs> network executives didn't crawl over each other to pick up that show. Well, Facts of Life is already really limping to its and to like is this the era where they like ran a weird like spencer gifts esque store out of the back of the <laughs> the, the boarding house like it's very it's a very confusing timeline all i know is that david spade you're right arrives fully formed as david spade ready to be smarky you know the other interesting thing about this was i was certain it's one of those weird things where your memory fails you I was certain that, so there's a skateboarding video from the, like maybe 2003 for a shoe company uh, called America. And the name of the skate video is This Is Skateboarding. And I was almost certain 
that there was like a they play that little moment where David Spade says this is skateboarding in the in the video and I gave it kind of a, a kind of a cursory rewatch either I missed it or it that's just not true and I just made that up I love any movie with a large ensemble cast where at the end of the movie they flash the person's name with a little clip of them I'm a huge fan of that as well yes and it was nice to see them do that with the entire bones brigade yeah, I yeah, they get a little sequence of them rolling through. That was nice, but because that by that time, like they were the go-to guys. Like that's that's the other interesting thing I thought of, is that you know at this point in 1987, there were street skateboarders that you could argue were like much more sort of established as street skateboarders, but because Stacy Peralta kind of like had like leveraged them, you know, through being in thrashing and through doing all their sort of like TV, I think they all appeared on real people at some point. And uh, so he was able to kind of like use that as a way to get them in movies. And that's how they also ended up later on in gleaming the cube. And I thought it's like really interesting. There was like this three year period where those guys were kind of like, work in the circuit and that was the other odd thing there's the the one odd man out in that group of guys is this dude named chris miller who is a really 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 great skateboarder of his own right but was never associated with Paul peralta and so i just sort of wondered how he ended up maybe he looked enough like one of the other i don't know i'm not sure because lance mountain was Artie's stunt double and tony hawk was kyle's stunt double so i'm not sure how chris miller ended up in the mix but it is it's interesting to note that he was in there Police Academy 4 is a terrible movie. It's it's hard. There's not a lot to talk about. No, even that Citizens on Patrol song that plays at the beginning, which at first, so. for a second, I, yeah, for a second, I was like, is this Africa Bombata? And then I looked and I was like, no, this is Michael Winslow going full Bobby McFerrin. If, if, we're, if we're talking about songs on the soundtrack... <laughs> Can we can we take a moment to talk about Brian Wilson's "Let's Go to Heaven in My Car," <laughs> which, which I think is, was nominated for a Razzie for worst song in a movie? I, it's it plays after the Citizen Saw Patrol song during the credits, and I was like, "Is, is that Brian Wilson? Man, does he sound medicated?" It's the Police <laughs> Academy Four of songs. <laughs> well said, <laughs> man. That was some good stuff. Some of the stuff that I was afraid would not hold up socially certainly doesn't. The Blue Oyster Bar uh, gag is oh, it's rough, confusing, and, and strange. Yeah, that's it's it's very. I mean, there's a lot of media from my youth that looked back through the lens of today is a bit unfortunate. Yes, or a lot, or a lot unfortunate, and certainly the Police Academy films fall yeah, squarely within that. I can't say they're problematic faves because they're not faves. So, <laughs> right. I, I haven't, I haven't yet heard the term problematic fave, but I, I, I've already compiled my list in my head while we went the moment you said that because I know exactly what you mean, Michael. I have so many problematic faves. <laughs> it's, it's there's some rough stuff out there. To me, the takeaway for Police Academy 4 is that it's like the the skateboarding that happens in Police Academy 4 compared to the the quality of the rest of the movie is insanely lopsided. Like the the two-minute skateboarding sequence in Police Academy 4 is better than all, to me at least, I'm going to add that caveat, to me, it's better than all the skateboarding that occurs in Thrashing. It's so well filmed and so exciting and so 
cool to see. Like these are these guys at the top of their game, just doing stuff that had never been committed to film before. And uh, man, was it exciting. It's really tragic that this great touchstone moment in skateboarding on film occurs in like what may be the worst film I've ever seen. So next week, I think we're going to watch Skate Kitchen from 2018. Oh, I'm excited. That's a good I am one. too. I haven't seen it. I hear good things. Uh, thank you everyone for listening and join us next time for Skate Kitchen. Good job, Mahoney. Thank you for listening. Our website is gleamingthetube.net. We're on Facebook at Gleaming the Tube, Twitter and Instagram at Gleam the Tube, and our email is gleamingpod at gmail.com. Production assistance by Liam Gray. Music by Kissing Contest. Skateboarding is not a crime. We'll be right back.